hello, this is Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other, different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello there, podcasterinos. My name is Carlo, and you are listening to Notes from the Back Row, the official podcast of back-row.com, champions of unsung and underrated cinema. So today I have with me a very special guest to talk about of one of our mutual favorite areas of cinema, which is Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema. She is a PhD candidate in East Asian Cultural Studies at the SOAS University of London, and has published several articles on Hong Kong and Taiwanese literature and film. And in her spare time, she is a supremely knowledgeable film critic on Letterboxd.com. I am very excited to welcome to the show today, Jessica Young. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Hi, Carla. I'm tremendously happy and thrilled um, to be on the nooks from the back row today to talk about Hong Kong cinema and perhaps Taiwan cinema with you all. I look forward to the discussion. Yes, amazing. Thank you so much again for being here. Um, So the main reason I asked if you were interested in doing a podcast on this subject is because I've been following you on Letterboxd for a while now, and I've just been in awe at your knowledge in terms of context and history of a lot of these films, which is a bit more elusive to your average film fan, even to someone like myself, who's, who's been obsessed with these movies for several years now. Uh, I find I'm always learning so much reading your reviews, which when you told me you're pursuing it academically and are also living in Hong Kong, uh, th- that gave a lot of context to that and it made sense why you knew so much. So, you know, um, so, so I know you live in Hong Kong now, but are, are you a native to Hong Kong as well? Yeah, I'm a native to Hong Kong. I uh, was born here in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, and um, I speak native Cantonese, uh, and most Hong Kongers, uh, we, we like Cantonese, and um, some of us know Mandarin, but we, uh, hmm. we prefer Cantonese, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I always uh, wonder about that. Uh, it's a, a thing that fascinate, fascinates me a lot as well, like languages in general, um, but we'll, we'll get to that later. I have... Uh, something in my uh, notes when we can get back to that. Uh, So I I, I did want to ask, like, what made you decide to pursue this academically? Is there a specific moment or a movie you remember that ignited your passion? Um, Let me think. Uh, When I I, um, want to pursue a PhD because um, I feel that I like to do research because I like to inquire something I like that may not be very uh, financially lucrative, etc. But I, I like mm-hmm. to I, I like to do research. I, I like to set, yeah. set a topic and uh, the process of finding it out and writing something on it and maybe share it with others. It's a little bit like Letterboxd, but I, I feel um, a little bit surprised that I uh, some re- people who uh, read my reviews like you 
that you like my reviews because those reviews um, are initially for my own reference. Like, oh, okay. yeah, 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 for for me to record my thoughts after watching films, mm -hmm. right? Some public yeah. public notes. And for um, the reason for me to pursue it academically, when I was thinking about my topic, I want something that I could endure. Uh, for a few years, uh, because doing a doctorate degree takes um, mm -hmm. a few years, right? And yeah. I, I want something that I like, so it's less painful. Um, but initially, my training was literary study, specifically English literature study, because Hong Kong I was a colony of uh, the UK. And okay. but but my supervisor, she she uh, is a Taiwanese Arabist. Um, she said, "Oh, you just no need to know, know some technical terms, and you're ready to go." So, um, okay. I I'm allowed <laughs> I'm allowed to uh, study what I like. Unfortunately, um, yeah, because previously it was difficult because in each field, the boundary, the walls of each field is quite quite high and people say okay you do literary study you don't know about film then why do you do film etc but she's <laughs> kind of lenient yeah because uh, yeah sometimes people are just weird in that sense and um and for the films that ignite my interest i i think it's lgbt films uh interestingly because during uh, my undergraduate um master study i have a um, gay friend and he's very talented and funny and mm -hmm. um, for my master and BA topic I work on women's writing because I resonate with them more I just like mm -hmm. to read them and I in the academia women the gender always goes with sexuality so I think oh maybe I should go for uh, LGBT mm -hmm. and um, although I'm not a LGBT person uh, but this story always have an Unconventional way of story storytelling to me. For example, yeah. for example, uh, Timing Lang's the uh, the Malay Chinese uh, director. He he filmed the river, Hulo. Um I never saw saw something like that. It was mm. really slow, and in the beginning was similarly boring. You don't really know what it was trying to say, but at the end. It was shocking, and we as audience are allowed to um, interpret it ourselves. Am I this kind of passive interaction between film and spectatorship? And also another Hong Kong film that's LGBT is um, um, Farewell My Concubine. Uh, and, mm, yeah. and it was also LGBT, but not directly LGBT, mm -hmm. so not in a sense, you know, and yeah, yeah. It, it, it was an adaptation of a Hong Kong novel uh, by the novelist called Lillian Li Bik Hua, um, which is again an adaptation of uh, Peking opera story. Okay. Yes, okay. And and in Chinese tradition, interestingly, this uh, this was told me by my friend uh, in Taiwan. When male actors playing female roles is a metaphor for LGBT, and of course, mm -hmm. I like yeah. I like romance. Um, I I don't actually find anything problematic about LGBT romance, but um, they are not uh, LGBT film in an activist manner, like to shout some like. Um, Slogan uh, and that pushy sense, um, mm -hmm. but it's it's more than a um, straightforward um, 
romance story uh, for heterosexual because I think LGBT story always has a subtle or, or inventive way of storytelling and so mm -hmm. um, I, f I feel this kind of film is kind of interesting and contemporary yeah yeah, yeah that's that's very cool uh, it's a very cool way of approaching it I think and and it's also it shows that cinema is a great way of just broadening your mind, um, always uh, looking for new things that you haven't seen before. This is how I came to Hong Kong and, and Taiwanese cinema as well. I, I didn't grow up with these movies, and at one point I was just exposed to them, and, and it was something I had never seen before, like even in more superficial uh, genres that I tend to watch a lot, like uh, action especially, um, uh, just the kind of things you would not see in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, but you see, yeah. you see action in Hollywood, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you see action in Hollywood, but it is it is quite different. Um, especially pre Hong Kong influence, I feel like action in Hollywood was was very very different. But then they saw those movies as well and were influenced and were like, okay, it, it's obviously done on another level here, and it's all very practical and. Practical action movies don't really, they don't exist a lot anymore at this point. So um, especially like to me going back to the practical ways of action cinema in the in the 70s, 80s, 90s of Hong Kong, it's it's unrivaled to me. It's, it's still on a level that I've never seen anywhere uh, replicated with bar maybe a few exceptions. But those exceptions are always people who grew up on Hong Kong cinema. So, yeah. Um, I just recently knew that they were also influential in East Asia, like in Korea, a generation mm. of um, audience grew up on Hong Kong cinema. It's something I mm -hmm. entirely unheard of. It's just because, yeah. <laughs> because to us, this kind of wow, global action Hong Kong cinema that mm -hmm. even non-Hong Kongers love are uh, the free films that we watch uh, on TV after school, uh, there's mm -hmm. a very um, local and ordinary things that yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah pe people they won't make a fuss about it. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I know what you mean. It's, it's, you, 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 you sort of take it for granted. Like, yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, these movies are here. We've all seen them. We've all grown up with them. But, but um, yeah, like as, everyone as, as, as is the similar. Like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but then as someone sitting on the outside of that, looking in, it's 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 just uh, yeah, um, eye eye opening, really. <laughs> yeah, because I think um, previously, especially uh, before, uh, before the handover, uh, mm -hmm, yeah, before half, it's, yeah, it's around that time, um, Hong Kongers still. Think oh, uh, Western cultures, uh, they are cooler than our local culture. Um, like we are yeah. not as good as that. Uh, we our our creation are influenced by Western cultures. Um, it's kind of a hybrid, uh, a mixture of them. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think uh, in recent years, Hong Kongers uh, begin to, to know how to appreciate the uniqueness of uh, our stuff. Although. I think it's a little bit late, but um, mm -hmm. late is better than never. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Uh, I, I can definitely relate to that. Like, I have the same thing as a as a Belgian. I my Belgian identity is sometimes a bit thin. I feel, but there are definitely moments where I'm like, okay, uh, maybe I have to appreciate the way things are here more because they're 
there's definitely perks to living here, but then as someone who's very into uh, media, like movies, even video games, uh, comics, I, I get all of, that, uh, all of those from other countries. Uh, there, there's, there's honestly, there's not much of a movie scene present here. And sometimes I'm like, maybe I should kickstart something myself, but it's, it's quite hard, uh, especially in the region I live in. So I'm always looking to other countries for that stuff. Um, but yeah, so I, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> Are there a lot, how, how did you uh, got introduced into Hong Kong cinema? Like, uh, are there mm. screen on your local TV or are they screen in your local cinema or you just browse around online and watch them? Yeah, it's, it's basically thanks to online. Um, growing, growing up, I definitely saw some Jackie Chan movies uh, on TV, like uh, especially in the late 90s when Jackie Chan really blew up internationally. Um, he, was, he was sort of everywhere. Everyone was aware of Jackie Chan. And I feel like Bruce Lee was a bit more beyond... Um, I was a bit too young to really have been part of this, you know, that zeitgeist uh, at the time. Uh, but the way I grew up, I wasn't really encouraged to watch a lot of like action movies. Like my dad is not someone who's into like action, horror, like real genre stuff. So uh, me being interested in a Jackie Chan movie, he would just scoff at that. And then the kind of friends I would have later on, they were also like, oh, Jackie Chan movies, they, they suck. And, uh, and, 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 and because of that, I, I had never seen uh, a Jackie Chan movie by myself. But so later in life, I'm like, looking online and thinking like how come i've never seen a jackie chan movie it's such a big name that that feels like such a huge blind spot and then you watch one and i'm like i think i love this so <laughs> i need to explore more and more and more and then i really went down a rabbit hole of hong kong cinema and uh in the last couple of years i've seen hundreds of movies uh from hong kong and taiwan as well I so. see. Uh, were the Hong Kong movies and Chinese movies they are they dubbed or in the, are they in Cantonese or? Uh, it, it it really depends. Uh, some movies, especially like really obscure Taiwanese kung fu movies, you will only find those dubbed, uh, which is interesting. But the more dubbed well, in French, dubbed in what language? Uh, in English, I will watch those in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there are. Uh, well, I live in the upper part of Belgium, which is uh, Dutch speaking. I, I, I don't think uh, a Hong Kong or Taiwanese movie has ever been dubbed in Dutch. I would be really shocked. There might be some more like uh, I can imagine a Jackie Chan movie being subtitled in Dutch. Th that that okay, but <laughs> no no no. I, I really have to rely on my knowledge of English for all of that, um, which is not a native language uh, in Belgium. But I I just grew up both in English and Dutch at the same time. English just by TV exposure, really. I was always watching like BBC and uh, Hollywood movies. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, okay. Um, Hong Kong cinema and by extension, Taiwanese cinema. It's, it, it's a huge subject and there's no way for us to cover all the bases in one podcast episode. So this is more of an introduction um, so I figured we're just going to talk about what it means to us personally, how we came to it, which we've already been doing a little, um, going on tangents left and right, uh, like a podcast should. <laughs> so 
preparing for this episode, I tried putting myself in the shoes of someone who doesn't really know what Hong Kong cinema means, other than literally the movies that came out of Hong Kong or Taiwan. Um, when you Google search a definition, one of the first results that pops up reads, although it owes a large debt to its mainland heritage, Hong Kong cinema helped popularize entire genres of film, such as Kung Fu and Wuja, on top of creating specifically local genres like nonsensical mole tile comedies and heroic uh, bloodshed action films. Um, which that's a, that's a very simple and straightforward summary. It doesn't say a whole lot about something that's so vast and rich as the entirety of one region's uh, or like several little regions cinematic output lumped together. But especially to someone who doesn't know what they're getting into, you've got to start somewhere. It's important not to feel overwhelmed. Um, and, and depending on your level of interest, a large part of the fun is just looking up stuff yourself. Um, it's, it's the way we've both uh, done it. Um, going down information rabbit holes, uh, being exposed to a Jackie Chan movie and then seeing what Jackie Chan has done, uh, more obscure stuff, for example. Um, but yeah, like I said earlier, when it comes to action movies in particular, uh, Hong Kong had more of an impact on the rest of the world than people might realize. Say you're in, uh, a fan of American cinema, you might have seen a Quentin Tarantino movie like I have. That movie might be Kill Bill. Kill Bill might be wholesale lifted from Tarantino's memories of being a video store clerk who spent most of his di uh, days watching old Shaw Brothers or Bruce Lee movies. Uh, or you might happen on a Jackie Chan movie during the 90s, um, become fascinated by his ability co to combine comedy with death-defying stunts. Or maybe you fell in love with Maggie Chung and Tony Leung Chui Wei and Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. So there's, there's many... Uh, entry points, I feel, uh, which, which is what you need. You need sort of an entry point, and based on your level of interest, that'll take you deeper. Um, but yeah, we've been emailing back and forth a little in preparation for this episode, and it became clear to me that the both of us have been informed by Hong Kong cinema. It's, it's quite different. Uh, the, like I said before, the entry point for myself, uh, it's more in genre cinema, people who would go on to international fame, like uh, Jackie Chan and John Woo, uh, then diving a little deeper in the catalogs of especially Golden Harvest um, because they did a lot of early Jackie Chan. And then as I was already a fan of monster movies, I heard that there was a, a, a Chinese King Kong ripoff called The Mighty Peking Man produced by the Shaw Brothers uh, studio, which led me to look further into the Shaw Brothers movie, uh, uh, movies and find a real just treasure trove of cinema. They've done so much. It's, it's truly mind-boggling. Um, but yeah, is, is it something you, 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 you already, um, said that these movies were just around growing up. So it's, it's something you were maybe unconsciously raised on, but for the movies that you really gravitated towards, did you have to go looking for those yourself or had you already seen those growing up? Uh, a bit of both. Um, hmm. When I grew up, uh, there were some VCD at home and uh, owned by my mom, and I don't think they are supposed for children. Um, and we, oh, we okay. <laughs> uh, but but <laughs> but we in the eighties and nineties, uh, we have a kind of rental shop called KPS Video Express. Hmm. Um, 
it let family members buy a membership and rent laser discs. I mean, like the big, yeah. like final one, and then yeah, yeah. and back home for family enjoyment. I think my family rent quite a bit back then because um, back then, I I'm I'm not sure people they have plenty of money go to the cinema. Um, so mm. we just have a laser disc play at home and rent uh, those laser discs, and we watch a lot of them, and. For those visibly owned by my mom, and I remember too, one is Johnny told the heroic trial about, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah? yeah, and I've I, seen that. <laughs> another one is Stephen Charles, Out of the Dark. So you see, one is horror comedy, mm -hmm. and another one yeah. is like, a, how do I say, uh, action fantasy, something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, action, and I was flabbergasted by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen the. I, I've seen Heroic Trio. I haven't seen a uh, Stephen Chow movie, but Heroic Trio is uh, one that really uh, blew my socks off as well. Um, if, 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 that, that, yeah, I feel that's a really good entry point movie, but it might overwhelm at the same time. It's 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 a lot. But if if people are now into action hero cinema, I feel like Heroic Trio is a sort of prototype of the kind of action hero cinema that people are into now, but it's it's all practical and it's three uh, leading ladies who kick ass. Anthony Wong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, it just feels ahead of its time. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And I, I've, I, when, when I recount this experience, I think maybe in Hong Kong cinemas, there were some films they have mixed I mean, mm -hmm. hybrid genre like action, yeah. action plus fantasy and horror plus comedy. That's kind of mind blowing for me that I was supposed to only watch Disney and uh, <laughs> 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 and and um, and. When I was say said I was little, I uh, I was really little because my cousin she uh, she's about ten years old older than me and she was supposed to babysit me, but she took mm. took me out with uh, her friends to the cinema and to watch <laughs> a moment of romance uh, oh, and yeah. Andy Lau and Jack Jacqueline yeah, uh, yeah. yeah and. I was too young to distinguish fiction film from non-fiction. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was, I was hor I was horrified. Um, people dying uh, in yeah, the cinema yeah. in, on big screen. So it, it was kind of memorable. And another, and other memories were um, what that there were certain films that got frequently replayed. Uh, hmm. on local TV channel and one is Johnny Toll's uh, legal comedy Justice My Food and um, oh, yeah. yeah and it's kind of family joy sitting together um, hmm. to to watch that kind of thing and just laugh our heads off and when <laughs> I, <laughs> and um, another very memorable um, memory was um, in secondary school, when I revised late at night, and my mom accompanied me, and she just turned on the TV, and it was always showing horror movies. And there, there, there was a time that uh, Herman Yao's the series of troublesome nights were frequently mm. screened at that moment, <laughs> and oh, okay. I, I, I watched them when revising, and I always failed my subjects. <laughs> 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 and so I think um, that. There was maybe a reason that I I I I, I don't 
I am a bit allergic to Hong Kong horror, um, mm. not only because it was a traumatic uh, childhood experience, also because I mm -hmm. think Hong Kong horror, uh, it features some very familiar locales that I can mm. always associate myself oh, with, yeah, yeah. with them. So it's more scary than, say, uh, some Western horror. If oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen some Hong Kong horror. Uh, for me, the sort of a, hur a hurdle with uh, it, it's it's not just Hong Kong horror, but in old um, action movies as well. There are points when there's some animal cruelty, and that, that that's sort of hard for me to watch at times. And in Hong Kong horror as well, I always have to be like tread a little careful. Um, but yeah, t to me, none of it is like uh, I've never been to Hong Kong. I would love to go at one point. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, also, what you said about like uh, watching a lot of movies on Laserdisc, because Laser Laserdisc, to my knowledge, uh, has never really been a common uh, way of watching movies over here, at least. Um, so yeah, it was it was all VHS over here. Uh, and one thing you you hear about a lot in uh, Hong Kong cinema uh, are the VCDs, um, which which also opened it up to piracy a lot. Uh, I think it's about 90s. 1994, mm -hmm. about that time. So yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah. bit late. But a little Just later. Later yeah, than yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I've I've seen some laser discs, and the quality is always it's always better than VHS. But I think it might have not been the easiest way to watch a movie. Or it might have just been more expensive to get a laser disc system in, in, in other areas. Like, I, I have no memory of ever seeing a laser disc player in real life in Belgium, at least. Uh, we are absolutely raised on VHS. <laughs> Even Beta, Betamax, I don't remember. Uh, I'm not sure where it is because um, uh, there were a lot of pe Hong Kong Hong Kong people. They got rich in the 70s and 80s mm. because of the economic boom. So a lot yeah. of the initially lower class become lower middle class, and we were able to afford uh, little luxury like this kind of VHS yeah. um, player and uh, laser disc player and VCD players. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, it was kind of fortunate. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, is, that is fortunate. And I, li for sure I like the rental system. I just mm -hmm. Yeah, I miss it. I, I really uh, miss just... Uh, I, I sort of use Leatherbox in that way as a digital browsing service because it's all just... Uh, you're just looking at poster art, scrolling through it, which is sort of reminiscent of going to video stores for me. You would often just uh, base your interest in a movie on oh this this poster looks cool and i see on the back it has these people okay let's rent it uh, no big commitment um so yeah I, I sort of use letterbox for that these days because there are no video stores left here anymore pretty much there might be like one in the city but that one mostly operates as like a like a night shop people get like booze and candy there and there's also movies because of the internet right yeah yeah absolutely and streaming streaming just killed it absolutely uh, it, it's so much more easier for people and hey I, I get it but there's a certain charm to uh physical having a movie in your hand that uh it's just sort of lost uh you can still buy blu-rays or uh, even like fancy ones I've, I've seen i've noticed that there's a lot of um old Hong Kong movies, 80s, 90s, and earlier stuff. It's it's getting released on Blu-ray, uh, not just in 
China, Hong Kong, but in the UK and, and America as well. But it's, over here, it's the more known ones. Like there's an entire series of Jackie Chan movies on Blu-ray now, and those are really fancy editions that are worth getting. Um, but it's still a little different than the, the video store. It's it's yeah, it's its own thing. Um, but yeah, do you watch, for example, American movies too? It's, it's, it's kind of a broad question maybe, but how would you compare American cinema or your exposure to it? Uh, are there certain things lacking that you do find in Hong Kong cinema? Um, yeah, like what, what would you say is the main appeal for you in Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema in comparison to Hollywood maybe? Uh, definitely, I I watch uh, American films uh, mm. like uh, Call Me by Your Name and some old American mm -hmm. films like The Exorcist and Mulholland Drive. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I like seeing them on big screens, and it was mm. uh, and they were more often screened back in the UK when I uh, went to the repertory cinemas. I mean, cinema screening the old films. In Hong Kong, yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't have that kind of cinema recurrently screening old films. Uh, oh, yeah, same, same over here, actually. Like, for old films, um, yeah, I'm sort of relying on myself to find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... Um, when you say uh, comparing American cinema to Hong Kong cinema, I'm more relaxed when watching American films because mm. I'm not thinking whether I can use. It's not research. Yeah, <laughs> and and um, the how, what which topic uh, I should properly work on, uh, etc. So I'm more mm -hmm. relaxed watching them. And usually mm -hmm. I go by my interest. For example, I think, oh, this is uh, this is really a classic, and I should yeah, yeah, yeah. I should watch it because. This should be something that I know. And yeah. for Hong Kong cinema and its uniqueness, I like uh, its locality. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, the sense of local, especially the Cantonese slangs. Um, mm -hmm. It's the <laughs> language that uh, made me feel very uh, homey. And references yeah. to local events and people. Then it's like some That's nice. yeah insider things that uh, local know. Like so, so I think maybe that's was the reason why I watched quite a bit of Hong Kong films when I mm -hmm. was away from home in the UK because it's sort of cute homesickness in a way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I also like uh, Hong Kong cinema's uh, slapstick Stepstick's humor. Um, yeah, yeah. I believe in American cinema like Buster Keaton and mm -hmm. Charlie Chaplin have what Absolutely. I look for in Hong Kong cinema. But um, when like uh, Stephen Chow and Michael Ho do that, it's more uh, intimate and homey to see uh, mm. a familiar face uh, in my time, like in contemporary time rather than black and white, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I would say that uh, for Hong Kong cinema's appeal, we have something for everyone. Like you said, actions, and we mm -hmm. have martial arts, wuxia, uh, romance, thrillers. Uh, but I think we do less well in terms of sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, it's quite a big budget, though. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's hard to keep up with America in terms of those right yeah. now, especially. Yeah, but. Actually, I recently discovered that in the 60s cinema, like recently I watched a restore mm -hmm. film called The Magic Cup uh, Part 1 by uh, mm -hmm. a very experimental 
uh, Hong Kong director called Long To. Long To. Long is his uh, first, last name and To is yeah. his first name. And it was a film uh, premiere in 1958. It was bonkers. Uh, it was a mix. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mix of fantasy, a little bit like Aladdin, and and oh. and it is a mid-budget film. When I asked the mm -hmm. production uh, um, companies owner's son because he was in the post screening talk and he said oh. uh, back in those days the uh, the special effect department people they hand drawn the special effect onto the film so uh, it, yes. it it was not a big budget so it, it looks quite fascinating and it, it was mm -hmm. a kind of special effects that is not hollywood okay not dazzling wonder woman that kind of special effect yeah, but it doesn't have to be perfect you know yeah yeah, yeah after all yeah yeah and i was uh thrilled to see this kind of old-fashioned uh fantasy and old-fashioned sci-fi because what encouraged me or uh, moved me is that the technology and budget back then were very mm -hmm. limited, but they could mm -hmm. still stretch the limit. And I think oh, this this spirit is very encouraging. And I like um, Hong Kong cinema in better times, like in the eighties, because we can see that if freedom allows, Hong Kong are crazily playful and creative, mm -hmm. like like um, uh, New Cinema City film called It Takes Two, uh, in which was released in 1982 by uh, directed by Karl Marx. Um, yes. They have, uh, if you have uh, watched it, they have a fake police station to uh, trick those gangsters into it. Yeah. And yeah, and a, a group of uh, cleaners, hairstylists, etc. They dress up as police woman and judge <laughs> and to trick the gangster. Um, so the gangster is like, um, oh, I. I should have known some people in this police station, and where are they? <laughs> and um, also Stephen Charles film, Michael Hoy's comedies, because um, essentially I think making adults laugh is difficult, and it mm -hmm. takes a lot of intelligence and calculation to achieve, achieve the effect, because I read some anecdotes of Stephen Charles and Michael Hoy's working on their films. They are actually quite serious people, and they're very, demanding in terms of mm -hmm. the gags in the film. They try and they think, etc. So it's I think, hard work. Yeah, it's hard work. work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even my uh, partner, uh, when he come across some funny uh, memes, fun, funny memes, mm -hmm. and he showed me and he was like, oh, <clears throat> you know, uh, creating funny memes is difficult. And I think it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you need to have a little bit uh, yeah, it's it, it takes creativity. It, not just not just anything can be a meme. It has to be yeah, you know, fu fu funny. It's funny. It's hard to define, but yeah, some people just have the talent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the funny. is not how do you say? You need to try hard to be funny because sometimes mm -hmm. uh, the kind of humor uh, in Hong Kong cinema they don't try hard. They just mm -hmm. do something silly or say something quite, so, yeah. quite broad at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so I think essentially uh, back in the colonial days when we have a little bit more freedoms, 
in in a, with the UK government, the cultural policy yeah. back then was more laissez faire, uh, more relaxed, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the censorship was more relaxed. So at least we were allowed to joke. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So um, this was uh, what I'm thinking about a pure Hong Kong cinema recently. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh creativity is important and what you said about the, the special effects as well in the old movies like i always get a kick out of i watch a lot of like uh, 50s just old cinema in general and uh, just seeing like special effects drawn on the screen i find that so much more charming and it's 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 a way to overcome your limitations and people have to use their imagination anyway so why does it all have to look perfect and uh the perfect illusion in cinema it's not about what takes place visually on on screen it's 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 not about perfection that's i don't know it's a bit boring <laughs> that, w that, that way to look at it um but yeah when, when i watch hong kong like action movies especially i always feel like there's there are no safety regulations for a long time it feels like which uh that in itself, it's it's both a little irresponsible. Um, people got hurt a lot, but at the same time, it's kind of exciting because you're seeing things that maybe you're not supposed to, and you're definitely not seeing them anywhere else. Not during uh, this those specific eras or at any point really. It's sort of like the cinematic Wild West, but it's happening in the East. And uh, yeah, uh, but another large. Part of the appeal to me compared to Hollywood is this this tendency to downplay reality. Like you've got, for example, those um, nonsensical comedies as well. Like plot lines don't necessarily have to make sense and are often only there to just accommodate a good joke or an action set piece. They're, they're very far removed from being grounded and, and sensible, which that really speaks to me as an artist. But I, I also just love absurd things. Um, and, and I feel like there's a lot of that in Hong Kong cinema, and that's, I, I always get a kick out of that. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's talk maybe a little bit about language, which, like I've mentioned, it's, it's another aspect I'm deeply fascinated by. So I'm, I'm assuming you're probably watching all of these without subtitles. You've already said you know Cantonese. Do you know Mandarin as well? Uh, I, I know Mandarin, but I prefer watching Cantonese film with subtitles oh. because um, I don't know sometimes when they are for example singing some chants or thing I like looking at the word like karaoke oh. and sometimes their the way of saying lines may be a little bit uh, fake um, not clear yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and I like having their subtitles oh yeah yeah no no it's sort of the same with me. Like I watch a lot of English movies with English subtitles because I like to know every word that's being said, and some some sometimes words sort of get not properly pronounced or drowned out, or sometimes the music is too loud. So I I, I love a good subtitle. <laughs> yeah, and I remember when I was back in the UK, I watched some old Hollywood movies, um, mm. and they were not subtitled. It was new experience because yeah. the American back then had a heavy accent and it was a little <laughs> bit true. it was a little bit hard for me to to hear mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah 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 i get that uh like the older you get in terms of movies the harder it becomes like for me as well uh i i wouldn't say i'm fluent in japanese but i know a lot of japanese and watching old movies is it's definitely more of a challenge than watching something uh contemporary <laughs> um 
how, how many languages do you speak? So I, I know like there's like many dialects in, in China, if I'm correct. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, like a lot of countries, the, the Chinese government try to mm -hmm. standardize uh, all Chinese with Putonghua or in Taiwan they call it Mandarin. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in Hong Kong, because we are more of a southern district, so we speak the language of Guangzhou, which, which is okay. um, Cantonese. So we, yeah. we speak Cantonese and um, before the Hanover, which is 1997, a lot of us are mm -hmm. not fluent in uh, Putonghua. Actually, my, my Mandarin is also a little bit broken but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I can hear about I mean 70 percent 70 percent okay um, and of course I speak English and I did English mm -hmm. in uni yes. and uh, when I was doing my uh, master I also attend some French class so I know some basic French oh, okay cool yeah uh... Same with me. I know some basic French. Like Belgium is supposed to be uh, bilingual French, Dutch, and you definitely learn learn both at school. But I haven't retained a lot of my French because I've I've never been very interested in the French language and in general like uh, Germanic languages like uh, Dutch, English, German uh, are more uh, up my alley, I would say, than the the more southern like French, Italian, Spanish. Um, but yeah, I, I, I live in a very multicultural place. So I know some Italian, I know a couple of Spanish words, I know uh, some French, I can probably understand most German. Um, yeah, that's, that, 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 that's one of the perks of living in Central Europe. You know, there's a lot of small countries next to each other and you can go anywhere, basically. Would you yeah. say this language is uh, similar in a way or another? Uh, well, yeah, you know, there's a group of languages called the Germanic languages, which is Dutch, Dutch, English, German, and Dutch and German in, in particular are pretty close, uh, closely related. Uh, but there's also some words in English that are very close to what they are in Dutch. So it's, it's the fact that I grew up so easily on both English and Dutch um, just means that there's, there's like no disconnect. When I started studying Japanese, it was uh, starting from scratch. I, I, I had no, um, how do you, how do you say this? Uh, no recognizable points anywhere. There was nothing. I just had to learn several alphabets from scratch, uh, grammar as well. Um, there's no word that sounded like anything. Uh, that I already knew. Um, of course, they do use a lot of English words these days. Um, that, that sometimes makes it easier, but sometimes makes it harder as well. Uh, it's kind of funny uh, the way that works, because oftentimes I ask my tutors, what is this word in Japanese? And they just say the English word. I'm like, how am I supposed to know that? Like, which, which words are now commonly used English? So it's just, yeah. So it, it is your time. Japanese yeah. quite fluent? I would say like 80% fluent, probably. I'm, I'm, not all, I'm not all the way there yet, but I have studied it for like, I don't know, more than 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's been quite a journey. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because I've studied Japanese. I know a lot of kanji characters as well. So when I'm watching like Hong Kong movies, so I can recognize characters and I can sort of tell what some of them mean 
by themselves, but you know, uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean you know Chinese. Uh, but, but sometimes I do notice like funny stuff. For example, in um, I was watching a Hong Kong movie and I saw the characters uh, that are written on a taxi, which are there, there are two characters I could read. I could read them as okay, this is Teku and that's she. So that's as Tekushi. <laughs> so it's sort of like the phonetic uh, spelling. You know, uh, I've, I've been to Toronto as well. You've got a Chinatown there. Those streets are written in Chinese as well, but it's also phonetic, I'm assuming. So you can sort of puzzle, you can sort of puzzle it together, which is interesting. Transliteration, right? Yeah, in in yeah, Japanese, exactly. you also do that. Uh, you translate mm -hmm. uh, English in term, into the simplified form of Japanese. Yeah, character. yeah, and the katakana. Yeah, exactly. yeah, katakana. Yeah, exactly, same thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess Chinese only has the kanji characters. There's no simplified language uh, alphabet. Is there? There, there's simplified Chinese character used in oh. mainland China after mm. the Cultural Revolution. Uh, Cultural Revolution took place in the 1967 mm -hmm. to 77, if I remember correctly. And oh, okay. yeah, because at that time, Cham uh, Mao Zedong tried to simplify, broke down their, yeah. their cultural system. And uh, from then on, mainland China used the simplified system and Hong Kong and Taiwan used the traditional system. But oh, okay. uh, when you say uh, kanji, I just recently learned that uh, from my Hong Kong uh, Koreanist friend that uh, Korea also used kanji, uh, I think in the mm. early 20th century, but Korea, South Korea. Um, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the long 20th century, um, it's on a persistent journey of desinicization. I mean, to remove Chinese, mm -hmm. so they gradually remove their kanji and and that yeah. then from from their culture. So sometimes when I watch Korean, uh, South Korean films, um, mm -hmm. yeah, in my spare time, and I heard some dialogues when they spoke out a couple of terms they resemble their Chinese way of speaking and I mm. find it quite interesting yeah 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 uh, yeah I, I always think like maybe I should have picked South Korean or like Korean in general because the alphabet is just it's only the simplified version that really is, is used now so that's that's way less characters but I've already committed so much so uh, at this point I know most of the kanji so uh, yeah um, but yeah, for, for me as well, like living in, in Belgium, there's actually there's three official languages. You've got in the northern part, uh, Dutch, in the south part, French. The, the capital in the center is basically bilingual officially. It's supposed to be both languages, but most people still speak French. And then there's a really tiny part in the eastern uh, part of the country where people speak German. But that's like one city, literally, <laughs> on the border of Germany. Um, but yeah, Belgian as a language, it does not exist. It's, it's, it's either going to be Dutch or Flemish, but Flemish is more considered a dialect. So no one's saying I'm, I'm learning Flemish in school. It's, that's not a thing, but it, it does sort of uh, indicate, oh, you live in the upper part of Belgium. So you speak the Flem Flemish type of Dutch. <laughs> So uh, what, what happened when people living in different parts, they travel? Uh, um, can they communicate in other parts? Sort of, yeah. Uh, it, it, it kind of depends. Like, for example, when I go to uh, Brussels, the capital, and people speak to me in French, I'm, 
I'm not the best at communicating with people. I'm always like English, maybe, <laughs> or if you know, if you happen to know Dutch. But yeah, it's uh, it, it it really depends uh, person to person. Like uh, my partner's uh, partner as well. She's not the best in French. I, I know she knows some, but there, there's uh, it's the other way way around as well. Like for people who are French speaking native, like the southern part of Belgium. Not a lot of those know Dutch is the general conception uh, there exists. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it's it's not really perfect. Like everyone sort of stays in their own bubble, which which is which is sort of common, really. Uh, like I have friends who live in in Canada. Okay, Canada is it's far larger than Belgium, but English speaking people in Toronto who don't really know French, even though the country is supposed to be bilingual, but it it just really depends on the region, um, but yeah, I I uh, going back to Hong Kong cinema. I saw, I saw that the many dialects or, or accents uh, made it so that Hong Kong films back in the days uh, were silent to make things easier. But I I did see that apparently a lot of those movies were lost. Do you know anything about those? That's like for example, I looked on Letterbox and the earliest. Hong Kong film is supposed to be one from 1913 called Zhuang Zi Tests His Wife. Have you ever heard of this one? Uh, I think I came across it, but I didn't have a chance to see hmm. it because um, I think um, currently those restore films, they were mostly from the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm, Although yeah. I occasionally read that there uh, were some 30s Hong Kong films, but I didn't have a chance to okay. see them yet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah, it's it's always so kind of heartbreaking when you think of the concept of lost movies. And uh, I always get the sense that there's a lot of those in like uh, from Hong Kong and Taiwan. And like maybe they exist in some form still, but prints also just get destroyed because people... I don't know why. I don't know what the motivations are behind that. Maybe they think people aren't interested in that, or maybe you have some insight. Uh, from what I know from the knowledge of the restoration team of the Hong Kong Film Archive, uh, mm -hmm. is that those uh, reels of films, they would go uh, sour and oh, decay, yeah, okay. decay, and yeah. they need to restore it frame by frame when restoring an entire film and mm. some may be on uh, repair so yeah. they first need to have the donor of uh, for example the inherit the inherited person of a film company uh, mm -hmm. who have some uh, reels that uh, heavily decayed uh, donate to them and they repair mm -hmm. them so you need to first have that person that link and then some reels of him to repair but I don't think the Hong Kong government is very uh, supportive mm. in terms of this area but the Taiwanese government uh, in recently years mm -hmm. you can see that they are actively restoring Thai European, which is the Taiwanese oh. uh, language uh, films. You can see some yeah. uh, public screening online uh, during the soft lockdowns these days because uh, in those mm. Taiwanese language films, it has, uh, of course, the Taiwanese language, a uh, dialect. At that time, they were in the martial law period. Everyone 
um, most people were required to speak Mandarin because they got uh, mm -hmm. colonized by KMT, the Kuomintang, Chinese Nationalist Party, when they moved to Taiwan. So they tried to restore their locality through this kind of yeah. films. Yeah, so I think it's um, a matter of difficulties in getting those rules and yeah, these yeah, difficulties absolutely. in re restoring those rules and also government support is also important. I don't think uh, mm -hmm, for sure. both uh, colonial U UK government and the Hong Kong government are very supportive in mm. this area. Yeah. yeah, that's such a pity. Like I, I do remember, I, I think it was sometime last year, definitely during uh, like Corona era, I remember there were a couple of restored Taiwanese uh, action movies uh, that you could stream. I think Via Vimeo, if I'm not mistaken. Does that ring a bell for you? Uh, I watch some on YouTube and also watch mm. some uh, back in the UK because the Taiwan Culture of Ministry of Culture uh, is mm. collaborating with King's College London and so is oh. my school um, to to screen some uh, Taiwanese films that were restored and they even have a website and I oh. have a chance to watch them in the UK and cool. sometimes they do a tour uh, in different European parts when there were yeah. a center for Taiwan study like Vienna there was a center of Taiwan mm -hmm. study so they try to do a tour and Helsinki too, I think, recently, oh, Helsinki, yes. yeah, and cool. on YouTube, and I think um, you can follow their Facebook page or whatever, and they for some announcement regarding this public screening, because oh, okay. their, their uh, habit of doing it is one time they select a few films uh, with a theme to uh, screen and invite some scholars to speak about them and if you miss yeah. it they will screen them in another occasion so they just uh, repeat once again and again so if you miss mm -hmm. it this time you can watch it next time but I think uh, to me they are quite interesting to watch because they look quite Japanese to me but they yeah. actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and they but, but they spoke Taiwanese is a language that is quite, uh, the vibe is like Cantonese, I would say a little bit uh, rustic or vulgar, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's dialect, okay, it's mm -hmm. dialect, and I, I just find it's quite quirky, and, mm -hmm. and because at that time in the 50s and 60s in Taiwan, there was another kind of Taiwanese film, we call it healthy realism, essentially it's propaganda and yeah, um, yeah. For, for the KMT, the kind of party move on to the Taiwan islands and um, they try to promote uh, Taiwan's productivity, so you see yeah. uh, farming productivity etc. But in those yeah. Taiwanese film, you see another side of the society, the mm -hmm. like um, not that glorious side like people being poor and uh, yeah, sin yeah. city and then you got uh, crime and you got um, some gothic tales and you got some uh, really funny funny films etc mm -hmm. so it's, it's also about um, not following the official regime yeah 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 uh, what, what was that facebook page you mentioned of the taiwanese film restoration thing uh, let me see. I think yeah, it's. Take your time. 
Taiwan's lost commercial cinema. Taiwan's lost commercial cinema. Okay, great. I, I'll uh, cover and re recovered and restored. Recovered and restored. Okay, great. That sounds fantastic. I'm I'm very interested in, in, in Taiwanese cinema in, in general as well because we always talk about Hong Kong cinema, but it's it, I always mean both <laughs> uh, when when I say, when I when I do say that. Um, I'd love to go there as well at, at one point. Have you have you ever been to Taiwan? Yeah, I I had and I, when when I go to Taiwan, I feel like I'm back to second home. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, and because the people there are so friendly, and mm. um, I just feel very safe there, and <laughs> and the vibe there is, um, I think it's like old, older Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Lo not that capitalistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe less urban as well because I know Hong Kong is very like dense yeah. now. And I think Taipei is also very urban. Yeah. But, but uh, you're right that Taiwan in general as an island, they, mm -hmm. they are less urban, and I think they know their edge, like being protective of the environment and being yeah, green, yeah. etc. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so it's. A really nice little island with mm. very friendly people, good food, and very kind people, very safe, beautiful sceneries, etc. Mm. So you do that go to. That sounds tourists. amazing. I have yeah. to go. <laughs> and and, really and it's very to. affordable too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just gets better and better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. and yeah. I just want to uh, bring up an interesting anecdote that. Mm. Um, go ahead. Um, when I wrote an article on Taiwan cinema, I, I, mm. I was always correct by the editors. One is Austrian, another one is American. And they said, why do you say Taiwan cinema? Why don't you say Taiwanese cinema? But mm. in academia, we always say Taiwan cinema because okay. uh, it's a little bit pandemic. But because like you said, of Belgium is a multicultural place. In Taiwan, Taiwan is also yeah. a multicultural place. So. Um, Traditionally, I see, I see. traditionally, when we refer to Taiwanese, when we refer to those people who were mm -hmm. already on the island before 1949 when the KMT arrived, I mean the indigenous people, and yes. so those are the Taiwanese. And um, so, in on the little island on, of Taiwan, we have different kinds of indigenous people. We have Taiwanese, mm -hmm. and we have. Uh, now some Southeast Asian migrants. So mm -hmm. uh, usually when I said uh, refer to the cinema of Taiwan, I said Taiwan cinema instead of Taiwanese yeah. cinema. Okay, I'll uh, I'll keep that in mind. From now on, it's Taiwan cinema. <laughs> That's good to know. It's, but it's uh, not grammatically yeah. correct. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean, but no, I I, I do like to be correct. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, give give to you where where it's due. Um, but yeah. Hong Kong and Taiwan cinema. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah, and that but when you say Taiwanese language, you refer to the dialect of mm -hmm. Taiwan, oh, yeah. but not the Mandarin. Okay. Is it like okay. tricky? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot. This is, uh, this is great. <laughs> it's a, a, a topic I love, so I love to learn about it uh, as much as I can. Um, <laughs> great. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you've at one point already uh, seen an old low-budget kung fu movie, maybe even on the Wu-Tang Collection on YouTube, um, and are wondering how come all of these have either English dubs or subs, and well, I was wondering the same thing. And so I uh, was on Wikipedia and I found this. 
that in 1963, the British authorities passed a law requiring the subtitling of all films in English, supposedly to enable a watch on political content. Um, making a virtue of necessity, studios include Chinese subtitles as well, enabling easier access to their movies for speakers of other dialects. Subtitling later had the unintended consequence of facilitating the movie's popularity in the West, which that's definitely a blessing in disguise, I would say, uh, speak, sp speaking for myself um, and, and all um, fans internationally of Hong Kong and Taiwan cinema. Even if the quality of the translation isn't always the best, there's usually enough there to know the broad strokes, uh, which definitely when it comes to movies that focus just on action set pieces, it's enough. I've, I've watched a lot of those where I wasn't always sure what exactly was being said, but I could follow the movie and it's it, it, it's all mostly superficial, you know, You're uh, especially in action cinema, that's, that's the, the bulk of it. But there are a lot of movies pre-British uh, colony that have never been translated to English. Um, and I saw that you've been reviewing some of those on Letterboxd uh, lately as well. Um, movies that no one else has marked as watched on Letterboxd even. Um, could, could you tell me more about those or maybe other examples of movies you would love to see get a translation and a proper release at one point that more people can be exposed to them? Uh, actually, um, because the British had ruled Hong Kong for a very hmm, long yeah. time, like I think 152 years. <laughs> so hmm. um, I I did review some early films, but I don't think they are pre the British uh, colonial period because it would be in the oh, yeah, 19th yeah. century. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. True. And I thought it was way shorter for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, because it's like for old, old, old movies. Uh, no, we can only watch those uh, in Hong Kong Film Archive, and usually oh. they are not uh, subtitled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. it's kind of. And what was your question again? Uh, would I, uh, what, what, what am I going to say about those films that I would like to subtitle or rare, mm, rare yeah. films? Um, I would like to work with my fellow uh, Hong Kong friends to subtitle and restore those. But I think mm -hmm. I think the copyright matter will be difficult and tr yeah. tricky to resolve. But I think if we can get some uh, resources uh, from funders, then uh, okay. then we we may be able to restore some and do some public screenings. But there's a big project, and I need to finish the project in my hands first. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe some sort of like uh, public fundraising as well, sort of a Kickstarter uh, scheme. I don't know. Uh, actually, actually, uh, for funders, yeah. um, some research council they have some funds for us. We just need to oh. write good proposal to apply for okay. them. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So. Finger crossed. But I would like to know that if we are to restore some uh, old Hong Kong films, what kind of Hong Kong films would you, uh, as audience, uh, like to see first? Oh, that, that's that's such a great question. Like as as much as possible. Like that that's that's always the answer for me. What kind of movies would I like to see? And I'm just fascinated to see the kind of things that aren't out there yet. Something I maybe haven't seen yet, or are like historically significant or movies that may have inspired uh others that came after uh I'm, I'm i'm just immensely interested in the history of cinema and um especially like hong kong taiwan cinema it's uh 
yeah, it's it's <laughs> the answer is as much as is possible, really. Uh, and anything you deem interesting and and uh, worth restoring and and bringing to a wider audience. Oh yeah, yes, I I do have a film in mind recently. Okay. I'm watching. Uh, some films at the Hong Kong Film Archives, and mm. um, I'm really into spy thrillers. And there, there was a particular film because in the old days, uh, spy thrillers uh, sometimes mm -hmm. associate with the Sino-Japanese War. Yeah. Yes, that China and Japan they they fought, and um, the Japan Jap Japan tried to colonize the Chinese, and the Chinese tried to have. Uh, guerrilla and mm -hmm. to 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 crack down the Japanese and the Japanese try to track down the spies. This kind of in okay. that games of intelligence um, uh, intriguing. And there was the film um, premiere in nineteen sixty five. Uh, the translate title is Lady Spy Number One. Uh, okay, and, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and it I believe uh, was the remake of. Uh, the best secret agent, uh, which is a Taiyu pian, which is in terms um, a remake of a Shanghai uh, film um, mm, about okay. about uh, Chinese civil war, is also called uh, the Spy Number One. In in Chinese, they all have very similar title, like um, okay. Spy Number One, um, but they have slightly different port. And I. Don't mind watching propaganda's film, but it's mm. very difficult to to have a film that's propaganda and good. And this is the film that's propaganda and good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it has some. It happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens, and you're not impossible. Just some people they cannot mm -hmm. cannot make it. And um, so they have some some intelligence uh, 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 work, and um, they also have some guerrillas and and. There's some war scenes, although they're primitive, but mm. um, it's, I can see that they are historically important and the mm -hmm. directors, they're patriotic in a good sense, okay? Not, yeah. not a nationalistic sense. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Because okay. in, and, um, maybe in a nationalistic sense, but not in a contemporary nationalistic sense. And, and they, they, used to, they have this film and they're sincere and they have um, good actress and actors, and they're carefully made in that perhaps poor times. Mm -hmm. So, so I think this kind of film is intriguing to watch and historically important, mm -hmm. um, as well as worthy to be introduced to broader okay. uh, audience. That sounds great. Sign me up. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Are there are there such Types of film in in Western cinema, you know, or any films that you would record. I mean, in, ter in, in terms of propaganda cinema, it's a bit different. I feel like the, the first thing that comes to mind, but that's not Western cinema. Is um, I don't know if you know about the the case of uh, the Korean director uh, and his and his wife who were kidnapped kidnapped in the by 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 North Korea and by Kim Jong. Uh, Kim Jong Un ill um, at the time in the in the sixties and um, yeah he he was he was forced to make a lot of propaganda North Korean propaganda movies <clears throat> as as well 
Um, but he was a good director, so I, I, I haven't seen a ton of those, but he did a, uh, a monster movie, uh, a North Korean Godzilla, basically. And that, that's a propaganda movie, but it's also a, a pretty fun monster movie. So uh, you can definitely have both, but it, it, it really depends on the director and how much they can get away with. Like how strict is the propaganda and yeah. Uh, but in Western cinema, it's a bit harder to recall. Um, I, I, I know like Nazi Germany, there were some propaganda films there as well, but I, I've never seen any of those. Um, but yeah, that, that, that sounds good. Um, the movie you uh, brought to the table, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see it. I think um, back in the 60s, there a lot of this kind of spy films mm -hmm. that yeah, they yeah, were, sure. they were uh, inspired by um, the Civil War and the Sino-Japanese War as well as yeah. James Bond, uh, the Bond mania in the course, six, yeah. 60s. Yeah. yeah, so it was kind of intriguing genre back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's the James Bond influence as well as the... You know, there's like political context uh, with, with wars going on, and um, but yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in all that, so um, it's uh, it's an interesting mix of just superficial. Okay, we're making this James Bond type of movie, but also there's context uh, if you want it. Um, but yeah, um, taking them back to language a little bit. Um, like I said before, personally, I only know a couple words. Cantonese and Mandarin just because of watching these movies you pick up things that get repeated a lot um, but the more you get into Hong Kong and Taiwan cinema the more you become aware of how different the for example Cantonese and Mandarin uh, the way I know them sound and what era the movie is from that's usually an indicator too so I, I, I saw that throughout history there's been a back and forth between Cantonese and Mandarin as a dominating language um, with Mandarin being the dominant one until I would say the early 80s uh, uh, because whenever you watch for example a Shaw Brothers movie it's always Mandarin it's, it's always Mandarin uh, but then you transition into the 80s and you watch like Jackie Chan stuff and it's all Cantonese uh, apparently there's a reason for that uh, specifically I came across this researching today's episode as well so it said that uh, on Wikipedia, the government of Kuomintang, uh, Nationalist Party, wanted to enforce a Mandarin-only policy. And they were, they, were, they were hostile to Cantonese filmmaking in China. And they also banned um, wuxia and martial arts swordplay fantasy, accusing it of promoting superstition and violent anarchy. So, um, but Cantonese film and wuxia film, they remained popular despite government hostility. And then the British colony of Hong Kong became this place where both of these trends could just freely be served still. This kind of censorship exists mm. in different uh, era in terms of yeah. Hong Kong cinematic history, but uh, because um, Hong Kongers are by nature very adaptive, so they <laughs> try to come yeah. up with a way like using yeah. um, the okay. genre, <laughs> genre that they allow to make films about to uh, mm -hmm. get around it. So you, you may say, okay, maybe uh, after 2004 in a co-production era between China and Hong Kong, we are not mm. that allowed to uh, make horror because, like yeah, you said, yeah. uh, encouraged superstition is a mainland thing. Yeah. And um, but they have other ways to get around it. Okay, maybe mm. because co-production film is to get 
big money from the government. Maybe yeah. they have a kind of small budget uh, horror film because horror film are always, almost always uh, made on a small budget. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So they have ways to get around it, and I also think this kind of censorship thing. Uh, I don't want to say it encourage creativity because censorship, I don't think, is uh, very good. No, thing. no, no. But I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but it it, it, it kind of changed. Limitations yeah, encourage yeah, creativity. Yeah, yeah. But it changed the habitat of the yeah. Hong Kong cinema scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Speaking of censorship, uh, some relevant news to what we're talking about uh, broke a couple of days ago, uh, I believe on June 11th. So um, the New York Times headline reads, China's censorship widens to Hong Kong's vaunted film industry with global implications. Uh, the city's government said it would block the distribution of films that are deemed to undermine national security, bringing the territory more in line with what mainline uh, mainland China rules. So, what was your reaction when you heard about this, and and what do you th what do you think the implications will be for uh, film restoration, for example? Um, actually, uh, when it comes to censorship, it is not uh, something that happened today or mm. last week. It has been around after the handover in yeah. around 2004. Like I said, the, we have a scheme between the Chinese government and Hong Kong government called SIPA, the Closer Economic Partnership Agreement. That means, mm -hmm. uh, first simply put, if you want to apply for funds from the uh, government, or yeah. um, you need to um, write a script and get it checked by the Chinese censor because you want to get uh, the film screened um, in both China and Hong Kong and of course mm -hmm. China censors stricter so you yeah, want yeah, yeah. it to get checked. So the censorship back then uh, was a little bit different mm -hmm. from before uh, 1997 but now after the 2004 uh, there were some politically uh, politically minded films like 10 years um, emerge and mm -hmm. because I think it a certain sense resonate to a certain uh, spectatorship so um, I think the government see this as another form of propaganda uh, of the yeah. resistant time and okay. they are not quite happy about it and they use this law just Passed last June to further uh, curb the uh, freedom of the yeah, films yeah, yeah. that actually this not happened last week. It has been happened persistently, and uh, in the Chinese media, they said this kind of uh, change has another separate rule for documentaries, and okay. it has stricter censorship for documentary. Because, oh, oh my! <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, I think people, uh, they're kind of groomy, but um, I personally, uh, I try to stay optimistic because I think like, yeah. I, I mean, I study Taiwan and Hong Kong cinema and Taiwan also has kind of martial law period from the 40s to the yeah, 80s yeah. and it was uh, also kind of very dark era with mm -hmm. propaganda and crackdowns, but they uh, live through it. So I think... Uh, True. Hopefully, it's just momentary. And 
since last year, I think there are also some Hong Kong directors. They have moved uh, out of Hong Kong, like oh yeah, okay, like to Canada, to Taiwan, to the UK. Yeah. So I think they may uh, be able to continue make some films locally at their okay new yeah. home country. Yeah. yeah, I mean you have to stay positive when whenever things like this. Uh, take place because like you said they've been happening before and then uh good movies have always uh been able to keep getting made um but yeah um so i was thinking to end things on a lighter note uh, uh stay optimistic look to the future Let, let's look forward and think about what we can do to introduce more people to these movies we we love so much um I, I was wondering, do you have friends who you've tried to sell on Hong Kong and Taiwan cinema before, but maybe failed because they weren't open to it uh, for, for whatever reason? Like, how, how would you even go about getting someone excited about Hong Kong and Taiwan cinema? Would you try to sell them on your favorite movies or, or people, uh, actors, directors, uh, or, or maybe suggest ones that you think anyone would be able to enjoy? Like, maybe you have a a handful of movies that you would consider a good introduction to these uh, to this cinema and maybe why <laughs> i rarely try to sell my friends on hong kong cinema but i do uh, talk to my friends about them in small talks or with my cinephiles okay. uh, friends because i'm curious uh, in what people like about movies and i find that uh, yes. if if they are not cinephiles. They just like watch try watching superhero films, which are mm -hmm. the num <laughs> uh, number one uh, best-selling films in terms of box office in Hong Kong too. Because Hong yeah, Kong yeah, people yeah. they like superhero movies more than Hong Kong films. But Hong Kong films are difficult to make these days. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, because you know the resources Hollywood and uh, Hong Kong own their like difference right and and mm -hmm. I, I think um, like in a very capitalistic city like Hong Kong people go to work and they have little patience for uh, good storytelling they just want yeah. to go into cinema <laughs> to turn their mind off yeah, yeah chill um, but it's okay um, I I think if someone would like an induction into Hong Kong cinema, they mm. would enjoy um, Stephen Chow's film, maybe Kung Fu Hustle, Shaolin Soccer, mm -hmm. or uh, Picking Opera Blues um, yeah. for um, some colors and Bridget Lin, Cherry Cho, mm. and Sally Year's performance, and the Swordsman or Swordsman 2 uh, for the martial arts sequence and Louis Char original story of like uh, Farewell My Concubine for Leslie Jern and also The Sisterhood in uh, Last Romance and The Brotherhood in A Better Tomorrow um, yes. or Michael Hoy's comedies are very intelligently mm. crafted and these uh, films they were tokenistic of what it means by Hong Kong to some yeah. non-Hong Kongers okay. as, as for some um, capsule introduction pack to Hong Kong cinema. I have chosen five films uh, from different, okay. different era. The first one is from the 50s by Lee Teet, uh, 1953 called In the Face of Demolition. Um, it promoted the ethos of 
all for one and one for all. That means everyone mm. uh, support, support me and I support everyone. It's a kind of film uh, promoting neighborhood and mutual support between Hong Kong. It's very leftist, uh, old Hong okay. Kong way of like warmth and moving. And uh, in the 1976, uh, Michael Ho made The Perfect Eyes, which is also a classic, and it epitomized the uh, newfound capitalism of Hong Kong. Okay. It's uh, about money and it's fun and it captured the psychos of Hong Kong city then. And of course, The Better cool. Tomorrow uh, by John, yes. John Woo in 1982. And it has influence, for example, South Korean cinema until today. And it has some mm -hmm. good fighting yeah. scenes. They have Bodyhood, Choi Yun Fat, Dick um, Long, etc. And the right. film song by uh, Leslie Jung and uh, Wang Jing's God of Gamblers with Zhao Yun Fat and Andy Lau. It's about money and it's series of gambling films uh, is a very entertainment yeah, yeah, oriented them, yeah. and it's originate from a TV show also by one thing called the shell game oh. and I think it is very uh, characteristic of Hong Kong cinema there are some actors that train uh, on TV including new wave of entertainment uh, those Mm. actors and uh, directors and then later they develop in the cinema industry. Also for the story, uh, like the Wang Jing made a shell game on TV and it became popular and he made a film series of it. It's about money cool. and, and they love stardom and it's so fun to watch. And at last I chose And Her Summer Slow and it's about Josephine Sills. Um, story about an ordinary housewife but it's incredibly mm. moving so i think these five films are a good introduction to hong kong cinema and it also try to capture the diversity of yeah. it yeah okay that's fantastic um yeah i'll uh, i'll definitely add those movies to the the show notes that people can um look them up properly where to watch them and all that uh, so no worries um but yeah thanks so much uh jessica for coming on the show, sharing your expertise with, with me. I've, I've learned a lot and uh, the listeners, I'm sure, as well. Um, so lastly, is there anything you would like to promote or maybe some final words before we sign off? I would like to thank Carlo for having me on the Nook's Room in the background. No it's my first time <laughs> doing podcast and it's incredibly fun chatting with you. And I love talking about Same. Hong Kong cinema, which is also something I like. And uh, when, I, when I was asking my friends, oh, should I go, should I go? And they said, you should go, you should go talk about Hong Kong cinema. Absolutely, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad you did. It was, it was, I'm, I'm a, bit, uh, in, a bit of an introvert, and um, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's scary. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. The first podcast I ever did was a, bit, uh, a little bit, I don't know, intimidating as well, I know. But it's just, you know, two people talking about what they love. Yeah, and two things. One is if you're in the UK and uh, in July, there's a Chinese official festival. There's uh, mm. some Hong Kong films, there's some Taiwan films. I know oh. uh, there's Drifting, uh, directed by Junis. They're about homeless people. And Francis mm, and Quan Ho Jie put on fantastic, excellent performance in it. I think okay. it just screened in Rotterdam. And oh, and cool. if it's drifting, it's in your area, go and see yeah. it. Um, and it's weird, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic about homeless people. Very meaningful, very heartful, um, sincerely made. And so, mm -hmm. uh, I just recently watched it. And, and I think that's all 
for now. Okay, yes. cool. I'll uh, have to see if drifting is uh, showing anywhere close by. I know there's a, a yearly film festival, like an international film festival, where I caught uh, uh, pre-COVID, I caught like a Japanese, sort South Korean, and a, and a Chinese movie there. It's not only Asian; it's 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 absolutely all over the world. It's a completely international film festival and local cinemas. Um, where I live, have them as well. It's a rare opportunity to see anything that isn't like Marvel or Disney or, you know, the, the usual fare. Um, okay, very cool. Um, well, uh, you can find more of us on backdashrow.com. You can find uh, Dan and my, uh, myself podcasting about what we've been watching lately and what's coming out on Blu-ray and such on our Cream of the Crud episodes, we've been calling them. Uh, Jenna's supposed to be doing or having done a review for the Tribeca Film Festival by the time this is out. And Veronica wrote a double feature about two new meta action comedies, one of which is Quentin Dupuis' new film, Keep an Eye Out. So definitely keep an eye out. Check out uh, all of those. Spread the word. Consider donating to our Patreon if you want everything a week early. Exclusive content and a goodie bag with limited items at the end of the year. Uh, and if you've already done all of that, well, hey, we love you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to keep watching the skis. Mm-hmm.